Welcome back to The Imposter's Way, the place where I keep a beginner's mind and you hopefully can keep on learning from the things I've picked up along the way. The aim of The Imposter's Way is to explore interesting ideas from first principles and that is taking the time to ask naive questions in order to gain a true understanding instead of a superficial familiarity with a topic. So join me in staying curious, in staying independently minded and attempting to find balanced opinions in a world of polarization and simplification. The question I want to explore instead of answer today is how can hard money like gold or Bitcoin make us as individuals less short-term oriented? And I think beneath that is the question of does money really have any influence on the nature of our money on our psychological state? I think those are kind of intuitive questions coming from last week's episode on time preference in general. And yet for me personally, this was quite a hard concept to think through and research. I hope I can make a well-balanced case. So as last time, let's start by asking why a couple of times starting with the base assumption that Bitcoin indeed does lower one's time preference. And we will cover the cons of kind of, of that argument afterwards. So the method here is to take the base assumption and start questioning it to get to a principled understanding. It's basically like little kids that just ask why a lot of times. And we're just going to do the same. So let's assume the assumption Bitcoin lowers time preference, meaning It makes you less short-term oriented in your decision-making. Why? Because Bitcoin reduces one's uncertainty about the future, particularly one's economic future. Why? Well, it's kind of a property of hard money. So gold and Bitcoin, if we consider those as hard money, keep purchasing power over very long periods of time, meaning years and decades because their supply is very much limited or fixed and therefore cannot be inflated away by the printing of more of that money. That's why it's hard money. Why? Well, I have to say that's a tough question and we now have to decide whether or not we want to answer generally why hard money works or why Bitcoin might be hard money. So I would say that hard money in general um, just works under the assumption that there is a limited supply or a fixed supply of it. And that happens to be the case with gold um, as a hard metal that is very hard to inflate the supply of. And in Bitcoin, it's particularly hard because it's very expensive to create or to mine new Bitcoin and the supply is fixed. So basically, as long as you have something which is very hard to create and you can know that there won't be an inflated amount of it next year, it is very good as a store of your purchasing power. So that would be the answer towards why hard money works in making us more long-term oriented. Why does Bitcoin work in particular is because it is the only digital money that we have that really has these properties. And if anybody tells you otherwise, I would say just ask them if they really looked hard enough. So now we have our chain of whys and we land with the case that, well, we have to make the assumption that Bitcoin is hard money, hard digital money, and it keeps its purchasing power over time. 
And if it does those two things, then it reduces the uncertainty about one's economic future and will change our behavior. That's basically the logic chain that we've kind of built. So let us walk through some examples before dissecting these kind of principles behind this assumption. I recently bought new running shoes, even though I still have perfectly good ones at home. They were 100 euros, and I have to say I didn't think much about it. Every day we transact, we buy a new pair of shoes, we take the Uber instead of the bike, or we buy some street food on the way home. All these economic transactions we do instead of saving that money for the oh-so-uncertain future. All of these transactions are not critical to our survival, and for that matter also not critical for our happiness. So why do we not save every dime that we have after buying the absolute essentials? Why did I not save those 100 euros and see if I might need them for something else than shoes in the future? Commonly we blame shopping addictions or other less dramatic psychological drivers for this kind of behavior. While psychological reasons seem plausible, they're not very conclusive and they're definitely not actionable. Austrian economists have a very clear, non-judgmental take on the situation. The concept of time preference states that each of us prefers having a good service now instead of having it later. It is not a psychological fault by us, but an absolutely rational human behavior. In order to convince me to not buy those running shoes, I need to know that I will get more out of those 100 euros later in time. Which brings me to a letter I've recently received from my bank. It stated that interest rates on my bank account were to be further reduced. I remember the days of several percent interest rates and now I receive basically zero percent a year. Even without an understanding of inflation rates, I intuitively understand that my money is not going to get more in that bank account. It might even get me less in the future. The 100 euros I spent last week are not going to buy me more in the future. I know that intuitively. They might even buy me less because running shoes tend to get more expensive by the year, not by much, but by a little. So it only seems rational to consume now rather than save for the future. The absence of a working savings mechanism drives us to consume more in the now. This is actually not a very wild take because many economists and central bankers actually speak about that effect very publicly. And as a matter of fact, the exact point of keeping low interest rates and a controlled inflation, the central banks mostly have a target of 2% inflation a year, is to keep the economy running. Now the question is, what does that mean? It is so people keep spending, take on more debt and do not save too much. And that sounds horrible if you formulate it in an individualistic way, if you look at it from a systemic way of a whole society that you have to run and an economy you have to manage, it might sound absolutely reasonable. The absence of a reward for long-term thinking is what changes our individual behavior. And the hypothesis 
is that the nature of our money has a significant influence on our behavior. But before understanding that hypothesis further, we have to understand how we ended up here. Interest rates used to be higher, much higher. Actually, I challenge you to find a time in history where your country had lower interest rates for a prolonged period of time, meaning certain amount of years, than we have now. US interest rates were only as low as they are now in 1945, where government debt was at all-time highs and interest rates were lowered to service that debt and finance the war efforts. The EU area has less historical data that is comparable, but we can see that with the debt increase to help out in the 2008 financial crisis, interest rates fell under 2% for the first time. The absence of real interest rates means that saving money on your bank account actually reduces your purchasing power over time or at least does not increase it. I will not be able to buy my running shoes if I leave the 100 euros on my account for three years. I will have to work more to afford the same shoes I can afford now. How would this situation ever incentivize me as an individual economic actor to save for a future day? If you've been saving diligently every month and you might wonder how this happened, why do we not have real interest rates? The simple answer is interest rates are set by central banks and politicians and inflation rates are set by central banks and politicians. And somebody decided to change the rules of your savings game. Nobody changes Bitcoin's rules. Bitcoin has no central bank. It is a money with very clear rules and a fixed supply. If the rules are clear and unchangeable, a free market of interest rates emerges. Currently, you can gain several percent of interest on your savings in Bitcoin. A monetary system without centrally decided interest rates is a world where you have to pay real interest rates for taking up a loan. And on the other hand, you get real interest rates for lending out your money. With real interest rates in place comes the certainty that the purchasing power of your savings will increase over time. Your time preference tells you to always prefer to spend the present moment, all things being equal. But in a healthy monetary environment, all things are not equal. It should be worth something to save, to postpone consumption. And hard money, like Bitcoin, can enable just that. Interest rates change our behavior. If taking out a loan is expensive, I'm less likely to buy a house with a 40-year loan. If saving money pays off, I'm more willing to save money until I can buy a home. This subtle interaction between something so basic as interest rates and our human behavior is rarely talked about, at least in the general media. Economists talk about this all the time, I've come to learn. So let me be clear. Opinions of the effect of low interest rates on whole economies and societies are fought about by economists and central bankers all day. And I don't pretend to know the answers. But without taking any side in this debate, one can observe 
very clearly the psychological effects of such low interest rate environments on the individual. And I challenge you to just do this for yourself. In a low interest rate environment, you are incentivized, you as an individual are incentivized to take on debt. You are looking for an apartment or house to move into. And you're seeing high prices on those houses and it's a bit much for your salary. But because the interest rates are low, the bank offers you great conditions for taking on a loan that might run over decades and that you will be able to pay off just because the interest rates are so low. So the incentives are very clear here, right? You can, I guess you can follow. If saving instead pays off and taking on debt is really expensive, what does that encourage? Yes, you guessed it. Being responsible with the money one has and does not have. The basic principle here is to live within one's means. And that might hurt a bit on the inside because we are a society addicted to enjoying the fruits of our future labor. But what we're trying to discuss here is the psychological implications of this. If we are forced to live within our means, we are forced to think more long-term instead of buying things now and taking on debt for it. Many people through the 50s, 60s and 70s, as far as I can tell, have saved their ways into wealthier life. Thinking long-term and saving for their kids paid off. In today's monetary environment, it does not pay off to save for your kid's high school graduation. Quite the opposite. The money you put away today would decrease in purchasing power and would do so at a compounding rate. And if you don't know what that means, negative compounding is really painful to think about and talk about. So I'll link an online calculator for you to run some examples. And all I can say is it really hurts. And I really hope you're not saving in cash for your kid's graduation. Okay, so we've discussed interest rates. We have discussed Bitcoin and low time preference and how it might change our behavior to maintain our purchasing power over a long period of time. I think it is about time to look critically at this Y chain that we built and take the other side. To be honest, I have a hard time arguing against the behavioral impact on time preference that the Austrian economists foresee with the lowering of interest rates. That just makes total sense to me. That's basically what we've just discussed. The individual will be more likely to take on debt if interest rates are low. And subsequently, governments will be taking on more debt. And companies will be run and built using more debt. No one will be incentivized to save and build slowly. We see this all around us and therefore arguing against that seems kind of futile. But I can just illustrate that with a few points. If you look at government debt, basically all around the world, we are at all-time highs. We've never been so much in debt. But the debt is rather cheap, so it's fine. If you look at tech companies in particular, but just companies in general, they have never been more in debt. We are constantly trading companies at the stock exchange, which have a lot of debt to invest in themselves for at some point becoming profitable. But because that debt is so cheap, they can keep this charade kind of going for years and years and years under the promise that they will become profitable at some point. Well, all of this kind of construction and kind of house of cards only really works if interest rates are not increased. But 
the specific incarnation that is Bitcoin as the solution to this problem, I think, is a point that we have to view critically. Yes, Bitcoin does have the properties of hard money. And yes, we can see real interest rates kind of emerge in its environment. But it would be really dishonest to discount the fact that really most people save in Bitcoin solely because its price has been appreciating on an average of 200% per year for the last 12 years. People save in Bitcoin not because of a healthy 4% interest rate. Bitcoiners and modern Austrian economists like Seyfedin Amus take those theoretical benefits of hard money as a savings mechanism and conflate them with the current role Bitcoin plays, the one of an asset quickly rising in purchasing power. Which is not to say that a world on a Bitcoin monetary standard would not be one where individuals take more long-term decisions and have a healthier relationship with debt. But pretending like this question is answered by the role Bitcoin currently plays for the individuals buying it is plain wrong. Currently, the allure of saving in Bitcoin is thinking about its long-term value appreciation, not in its healthy interest rates. Stock market investing that offers stable returns motivates the individual to save money too. And while the theoretical components are there, we are really yet to see if a Bitcoin-based system with healthy interest rates will emerge and does indeed change the participant's time preference, which was the question we started with. So to kind of conclude and wrap up, a lower time preference is something we as humans only adopt if it pays off. It needs to pay off for us to forgo pleasure and spending in the now. Interest rates are the base economic dial for that equation. Low interest rates make it worthwhile to take on more debt and save less. We buy things we can't afford now instead of caring for our future selves. And what role does Bitcoin play in this whole lower time preference thing? That is the question we started out with, right? Well, the case is Bitcoin offers real interest rates and an appreciating purchasing power over the long run. As long as individuals around the world are in need of real savings technology like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. It gives the saver a greater sense of confidence that every sum she is able to save today will be buying her more in the future. Bitcoin has grown in purchasing power over year by year by year, on average, by around 200%, and offers a real interest rate environment as well. This reduction in uncertainty for the future motivates long-term thinking. The trade-off with the future self, with my future self, is worth it here. It pays off to avoid buying running shoes now that I don't really need if I know I'll be able to buy more with that money in five years. It is hard to imagine how our daily human behavior might differ if such an abstract thing as interest rates were higher. But I've become fascinated by the psychological implications the interest rate environment might have on our actions. I mean, maybe I'm just interested in weird things, but I've never thought about this before, and I find it very interesting and worth pondering. But on the practical side, I think in the end, self-experimentation seems like the only way to find out if time preference is indeed influenced by our access 
to working savings mechanisms. So I'd say I'd urge you to engage in that experiment yourself and observe for yourself if and where your behavior changes. That was today's episode of The Imposter's Way. If you learned something today or even enjoyed this format, consider coming back next week. I aim to publish these episodes weekly, but will never force myself to publish low-quality work. My aim is to research the topics extensively and continue to improve my writing. Subscribing on podcast apps, sharing this episode with a friend, and reviewing this show on Apple Podcasts are the ways you are able to support me in doing so. So thank you so much for listening. I'm very grateful for your attention. If you prefer reading instead, though, all articles are available at theimpostorsway.com. In case you have any feedback or suggestions, you'll also find my contact details there. Until next time, good night and good luck. Thank you.